You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to the FMC podcast. I'm Matt Spazali. I'm Jonathan Keel. And uh, we're glad to have you back with us. We uh, start start off the podcast with prayer like we do um, each time. So we uh, begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. We ask you to uh, come be with us. You say that we're two or more gathered in your name, and, and we are gathered in your name, Lord, uh, that there you will be. Uh, so we acknowledge your presence with us, ask you to guide our conversation today, and um, just get, send us your spirit so that we can talk about uh, the beauty uh, of your creation, the beauty of art in the world, um, and man's uh, participation in that with you. Um, in the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy, holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as I mentioned um, in the in the prayer, we're going to be talking a little bit about art and and beauty and its role in evangelization and its role in the church uh, and what 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 is that all about? We'll just be um, talking about different uh, opinions, different things that we've read. Um, from the popes, um, and I, actually, I, I was thinking, Jonathan. I can't remember if we discussed this in the first podcast, but um, you mentioned uh, a, a criticism <laughs> of you, like, "Why are you always talking about the popes?" Um, and I know you, or I'll let you answer that that question. Uh, well, I mean, for me. Uh, I am a convert, and um, okay, um, and I came to um, I came to the church through just a lot of uh, reflection, um, prayer, discernment, and one of the main things that drew me to the Catholic Church was just my understanding of authority and what I believe to be the Christ-given authority of um, of each of the popes who have followed after and including St. Peter. And so what that's meant for me is in my practical life as a Catholic has been that uh, I listen to the popes, I study what they have to say uh, it has great value in my life and in the way I form myself uh, in a way that's different than if I were to read just uh, a saint uh, as great as, I mean, wonderful as a saint is. Um, there's something special, I believe, that uh, and, and our church teaches that uh, a magisterial document or just the Pope in general um, as the chief shepherd of uh, our flock has a special place to me, to my heart. Uh, honestly, I remember when I was becoming a Catholic in RCIA, 
I still remember a group that came to me and they're very critical of Pope John Paul II. Um, and they believed that they could attract me to uh, their particular, uh, I would say, their particular form of Protestantism, to be honest, um, which really revolved mainly around the use of Latin. And, uh, and they, for that reason, were up in arms against uh, the papacy. They didn't accept it. They told me they, if I wanted to come to the real mass, um, I could come with them. And I remember just sharing with them that, you know, I've, I've already um, experienced and still have great love for uh, the Protestant faith that I considered them a part of at that moment, which they didn't particularly like. But I told them that for me, um, my that relationship with uh, with the Holy Father, with the Chief Shepherd, is, is really a key relationship for me to understanding who I am as a Catholic. Um, it doesn't even make sense to me personally to be a Catholic if I don't, to be in the flock if I'm not open, if not willing, if I'm not striving to follow after the voice of the shepherd. Right. And so for me personally, I believe Jesus speaks through the Holy Father. And so I want to know as much as possible about what they're saying. And, uh, and so that's why I, for me, I, I spend so much time learning about um, and, and trying to understand what they want to tell us in this modern world. Right. I think uh, I, I agree with certainly that um, respect for the Holy Father. And it's not as if we put him, um, you know, it, I think some Protestants get the, um, uh, the impression that we're worshiping in, in some way the, the Pope or something like that or we're... Um, at best obsessed with him or something and um, I think more uh, the, the truth is not that way it's, it's the truth is that we respect this office that Jesus himself um, initiated and and so although these are not the words of scripture, you know, this isn't sacred scripture to, to read the words of the Pope. Um, and not all of the words of the Pope, you can you give equal weight. They speak, you know, more authoritatively through certain church documents, um, through, you know, the documents that come out of a, a synod of, of bishops or um, something in an encyclical. These are very weighty um, but all of them are do our respect as Catholics because this is um, our shepherd and we should just listen mm -hmm. to him it's not a it's not something we can easily disregard yeah you know I one thing I've been very disappointed in coming back to the United States um, we've we've spent the last four years living uh, in Latin America and, and a variety of countries in the Caribbean, and um, you know coming back, 
uh, simple people that we worked with in Mexico and Peru and Haiti, um, they accept the Holy Father. They listen to what he has to say. They don't always even know who he is, but you mention uh, the you mention who he is, and you mention a document or or, or teaching, and you know that impresses them. He's our leader. And, um, you know, my experience in the United States has been one, uh, it's been very mixed bag, uh, but I feel like one of the most common things I hear in the United States, which is slightly ironic to me, is, you know, how, how much of this, how much of what Pope Francis in this case is teaching do we have to believe, do we have to follow? It kind of reminds me, I taught high school for 10 years. Um, and I remember, you know, teaching my theology class, oftentimes you'd have um, young people, their hormones are like <laughs> raging and there's always this question, uh, how far can I go? How much of this do I have to practice? And the common adult response would be, you should embrace this and you should embrace it in love. You should embrace this. You shouldn't be asking how much do I have to do, but how I can live this out more fully, this teaching that the church is teaching on sexuality. And I find that these same adults, many of, of uh, really American adults, just go around and do the same thing when it comes to uh, some other teaching involving mm-hmm. any type of papal authority with websites, I feel like, that are devoted to just making sure and tell people what they have to follow. Oh, here's a new thing said by Pope Francis, but do we have to follow it? How far can I go against this without falling into how far? And then, or something. Yeah, <laughs> and I find it very devoid of love and devotion, and I find it very fear-driven. You know, I fear, I feel, um, I know what it's like to struggle uh, and to struggle with authority, uh, especially towards our Lord. When I lost my son, uh, it took me a long time to come back. I still struggle with trusting our Lord and trusting His um, authority in my life, His providence, His sovereignty. Uh, But I find there's great joy when we relinquish our will and give it over in love to our Lord. And I find that that's something that I've been able to do. Uh, maybe it's just a grace, but I've been able to do that with our Holy Father. And I've lived under three now, and I love, I've love i loved all three. I've been really studying a lot of blessed Paul VI, a wonderful man, a saintly man. Uh, we've been blessed over the, through the last five at least popes um, to, I believe, be... Uh, I've had five saintly, truly saintly um, leaders that um, I believe teach a very similar and um, organic doctrine. Well, yeah, we definitely see that in uh, these different documents that we've brought um, together today. So I I don't want to go too far down the... Yeah, yeah. and that's another topic, but I think it's important just to address at the outset because we do, we are starting, uh, I think, all of these with um, generally uh, scripture, which of, of course that would be a starting point. Um, but we are we are Catholics, and uh, 
the Pope is our leader uh, and we just we respect him and so we want to look at what he says and take it seriously and try to see how it can um, be be used for for the uh, our uh, for our way of following Jesus um, so here's a uh, I'm, I'm going to start with um, Pope John Paul II's letter so this is the letter of His Holiness Pope John Paul II to artists in 1999 um, as he his pr- little um, I guess preface to the address I'm not sure how to but he says to all who are passionately dedicated to the search for new epiphanies of beauty so that through their creative work as artists they may offer these as gifts to the world um, and in this letter it's fantastic it's it's long uh, the Pope uh, St. John Paul II himself was an artist an actor um he, he loved the theater, um, and and through in this letter demonstrates the breadth of his knowledge of art and um, uh, music and uh, all of these. And when I say art, I mean it in the mo- in the general sense of um, all of the different kinds of art: performing arts, the um, literary arts, the physical arts with. Um, I think uh, John Paul calls the the plastic arts. Um, but there's a statement that he makes in here that I think uh, is somewhat arresting and it's like, okay, uh, let's listen up then. He says, in order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. In order to I'm going to repeat it. In order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. I think... I think it's sometimes easy to think of art as something superfluous. Um, you know, what... That's some some guy drawing or something, or my kid can draw... What does that have to do with anything? Um, why do why would the church need art? Um, I I can doodle on a pad and that's tear it up and throw it away, you know. And um, I don't know whether we would consider that art or not. But the the fact remains, the Pope says this, um, and we have similar sentiments from as we have been going back. You know, Paul the Sixth gave an address at the close of the Vatican. Second Vatican Council to artists with a similar sentiment. Benedict the Sixteenth said uh, something very similar. I mean, and quoted John Paul II in an address ten years later, uh, two thousand nine, and Pope Francis uh, has said similar things as well. So we have to say, all right, this is the consistent opinion um, of our popes. What does it mean? Um, and I think uh, I, one my, the initial point that I would like to make is that while we have amazing examples uh, of sort of just untouchable art by Michelangelo and um, 
these masters and ancient forms of liturgical uh, art and music like Gregorian chant and classical music and things like that which are beautiful and should be maintained um, we also can't just be looking backward we can't always be looking backward and saying well um, and this is borne out by what these popes are saying uh, and I th- and I think that I agree with it if we just if everything that's good is just in the past then there's no need for artists mm. now there's no need for us to do anything now um, but I would say that's wrong we should look back and love what we have but it should uh, you know the church's role in art and our relationship to art as Christians shouldn't want be just one of preservation it should be a continued creativity um, as John Paul starts off in in this letter with um, the creation story God saw all that he had made and it was very good um, be, art is a continuation of our participation in creation in, in that in a way, not as maybe a, maybe not as profound a way as our participation in procreation, um, uh, you know, bringing new lives into the world. But we need art, and and we need. And why do we need art? We need art because we need beauty, um, and that's kind of the the foundation of of what the, the popes are saying. That beauty is important, it's necessary, and to communicate the beauty of God, we need the help of art. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I... I agree with that. I, I think that That's a great. <laughs> no, well, all right, that then good. Uh, I agree too. Um, I think what uh, what's what's interesting about what the um, something that Pope uh, let's see Pope Francis said recently, um, and uh, let me find it here. Um, and he's, I think, you know, talking primarily about um, liturgical music, music yeah, that would yeah. be um, used in the mass, and he says that um, in order to foster this development, um, be that de- being uh, making a precious contribution to the renewal and especially in qualitative terms of sacred music. So he's talking about a a renewal um, of the quality of our liturgical music and sacred music. Um, It says, in order to foster that renewal and development, an appropriate musical formation must be promoted, even of those who are preparing to become priests. In a dialogue with the musical trends of our time and the inclusion of different cultural areas with an ecumenical reach. Um, 
So I think that's interesting. You know, uh, I think that there. I may have be- believed this or sort of fallen in. I say fallen. That's uh, sort of pejorative, but I, I think, like, I thought at a certain point, well, the church should never cave to the current trends of of music or something like that. The church should be on some other level. Um, that's not what. That's not what we're hearing from the Pope, and not not what we're hearing from any of them, really. There's they say that music is something that helps us enculturate the gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something that helps us bring the gospel to more people. There's a time when, and still in many places, people can't read. They do, There's not education to uh, a system where they can even read or understand all of these words in, in the scriptures. And we need to use everything at our power to um, to bring the gospel message to to all of creation. So art and music and these and you know uh, painting, all of these things are things we've done for thousands and thousands of years. They, whatever the proper use of them is, they're clearly important to all of humanity. Mm-hmm. They're clearly important to every people and every culture. And so, we need to um, we need to use that. The church needs to use that um, as a language with which to speak the beauty of its message. Um, and to and and also, you know, I, I've there's this idea of like I think certain artists push back at the idea of message-driven art and I, I would agree with that sometimes that becomes propaganda and it's um, it's not a it becomes then not about the form of expression but just only about what you're communicating um, I I think you can do you can do both but you have to be authentic you have to be authentic in, in your art um, and I think you know one one place we see um, a frustrating example of inauthenticity is in the contemporary Christian music format. Um, so this isn't to say anything of Christian music, whatever that would even mean as a whole. Um, this There's a contemporary Christian music, CCM, it's a format that's pushed out uh, by the music industry and it's marketed and crafted to sell albums. Crafted to sell, uh, I guess now not many people are buying albums, but you're selling um, whatever you, uh, you're marketing on Spotify or different things and trying to get as many listeners you can to get people advertising on your radio show or on your uh, Spotify channel or something like that. And so there's this danger um, and it's, it's not even, it's a true, it exists. We've fallen 
for it. Um, really sacrificing the art for the message. Um, and that's particularly frustrating for me as someone who I just I love music and it's and it doesn't need to be uh, it can just be without words uh, sometimes and and I like listening to it um, I know or Jonathan for you the words are often very important and maybe a, a place where we differ in our taste and, and there's clearly there's room for that uh, difference well I'm, I'm attracted to ballads and certainly more um, certainly I'm, I, I like lyrics that express something that I can uh, get behind or that uh, that really touch me um I like instrumental music. I do get distracted by a song if I happen to like the way it sounds, but the lyrics, um, if it's something that I can't assent to or that contradict um, my experience, then it, it, I find it less pleasurable is, is all. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly... You know, for me personally, when we think about uh, evangelization and when we think about Christian music, um, you know, I've I've played in many bands, Christian bands, uh, out when I was living in California when I was younger. Um, from all all over the Christian scene, never you know the never any any um, big. Uh, kind of contemporary Christian scene, but certainly um, in a number of smaller venues and smaller kind of uh, alternative styles of Christian music. And uh, I know there's many talented people. Um, I think for me, w- one of the issues I struggle with, uh, Von Balthasar mentioned, or Benedict uh, mentions, Pope Benedict mentions a uh, a yeah. phrase or a, a, a section from von Balthazar's um, writings that I just I think is really enlightening. Um, he's talking about something. Pope this I'll interject. This is uh, Hans Urs von Balthazar, a, a theologian, a celebrated uh, Swiss, I believe. I think he's Swiss, but anyway. Um, but Pope Francis in. Evangelii Gaudi had mentioned something called the Via Pulchritudinis, which is the path of beauty in Latin. And in speaking on this path of, uh, of beauty or an aesthetic journey, as um, Pope Benedict called it, he says, he quotes von Balthasar, who said, Beauty is the disinterested one, without which the ancient world refused to understand itself. A word which both imperceptibly and yet in unmistakably has bid farewell to our world, a world of interests, leaving it to its own avarice and sadness. It is no longer loved or even fostered by religion. Um, I think for me, 
one of the struggles the modern church has just in general uh, is disinterest. Um, we we live in an age where there's not many things people do uh, just for enjoyment other than, I mean, uh, if they can make money for it, it's almost looked at as uh, something that you would be a fool not to do. I remember walking just last week through uh, an experience of beauty that I had. Actually, it was, it was a couple days ago. Uh, we went on to Avery Island where they make Tabasco. Mm-hmm. And um, a friend, a fellow missionary, Andy Ringel, he, he has a house out there. So we were able to go into the back um, restricted area. And he brought us to a large grove, acres and acres of uh, bamboo. It was a bamboo mm-hmm. forest. And yeah. we walked through it. It was just utterly beautiful. It was like standing in some uh, mythical, uh, you know, martial arts world. <laughs> and um, I saw one of your kids with a big bamboo yeah, stick. I, yeah, I was wondering where that came from. That's where it came from. And um, and while we were there, you know, he he had mentioned to me that, you know, they could harvest this. He and his brother mentioned this. Um, but... They could harvest this bamboo and sell it all over the world, or at least all over the United States, and make um, a large profit. But for them, the reason it was that they enjoyed it so much, it was just a place where they can go and encounter the beauty of God's creation. Um, And it was manicured, so it it had an interesting quality of man participating Mm -hmm. Yeah. in this um, if not creation certainly um, a kind of a flourishing we, we saw many um, new sprouts of bamboo it was kind of a renaissance in this forest and I think that when art becomes attached to making money mm-hmm. like so many things it's detrimental to everything that it does and I feel uh, one of the it, one of the most important things in art and really I think in religion I think there's a very close connection there always has been in the history of man between art and religion I think when they become um, when when they become seek or, or when they seek to uh prop themselves up if you will um through treasures of this world through money they become irrelevant yeah i i and i think that that's what uh we you know i i hesitate to (laughs) to pick on this certain format of music because i know that there are people who really do enjoy it so um, you know, contemporary Christian music, CCM is a, f- a format. You may never even have heard of that moniker, but it's something that all of the labels know about, um, and it's something that they produce. It's mostly um, what you hear on K Love, um, which is, I think, a national, uh, 
basically a national um, music uh, national radio station that gets kind of syndicated in, or, or something in these different in different stations across the country um, and to those of you who love K-Love I say praise God <laughs> like I want you to listen to it and I honestly like and it's with no condescension like I'm happy that it exists because if it brings you closer to God and lifts your mind up then that's good and you know it should you know that's good um my problem with it is that for me it I hear I hear the calculation of the industry trying to sell itself um you hear we were it's like uh I remember when I was young, when I was young, there was, I think my mom gave me this list of, it was this pair these parallels, like, if you like Nirvana, then you'll love whoever, and it was, so it was like, Nirvana was the bad band, and this other band was a Christian band that sounded just like Nirvana, but the words were Christian. Um, if you like, uh, you know, I don't know whatever whatever other um, yeah other I, band I remember getting there's, one of those yeah, youth group there's a parallel and it's not it's so it's there's an ith on uh, inauthenticity there that's it's like man that feels fake it's the Nirvana the way that Nirvana sounded um, was this anger and angst and just it came out of a particular place of these people and I, I like I liked it I I still like it I don't listen to them a lot um, but it was I really believe it was an authentic artistic expression of these guys um, wherever they were you know whatever they were thinking mm-hmm. um, if they were angry then their music sounded like it um, to put Chris to just lay on top of that words from the Psalms um, that maybe are of praise to the Lord on this bed of angry music that's just ridiculous that doesn't make any sense um, it is it's a manufactured thing and art needs to be real it needs to be um, a true expression and that's as long as art is, we hear this from the Pope, says, as long as it seeks the beautiful, then we, we're friends of art. Um, but that's not a seeking of the, of the beautiful, that's um, a fabrication at worst to make money, and at best sort of um, a a bastardization of the of the form like there's no consistency between the music itself and the words that are laid on top of it and they don't grow from the same place and I, I think that's one of the things that I have trouble with in um, a lot of 
the Christian music that's played on on the radio. Um, it's hard. I, I just can't. I really can't listen to it. Um, and then I, I, another sort of caveat that I want to put into that is um, that's for me. There's a certain place. Um, where I like to listen to, you know, sort of, I, I like to listen to music on my own, um, listening headphones or something like that. Um, however, in in our community here and in our, pretty much all of our communities, uh, all of our FMC missionary communities around the world, playing music and singing and praising the Lord is something we do every single day, and. Every day out here at Big Woods, we gather in the morning um, and we sing praise songs. And a lot of them are the songs that have been played on Christian radio. Um, I think one, from a technical aspect, they're much, it's clearly much less produced. I mean, it's just, it's sometimes just you, Jonathan, or Kevin, or Joseph with a guitar and uh, 50 people singing and it's much more organic in that way and it doesn't feel as calculated and produced um, I also think that it's a different mo- mode and different mindset it's we, ne- we know that we need to praise the Lord even when we don't feel like it even when singing anything in a major key feels fake uh, which you know, it's it's an odd thing. I recognize that that is good, and has been good. For, I mean, it, for me, it's been good. There's times when I go to morning prayer, and we're we're singing, and I just do not want to open my mouth. Like, it's just you don't you're not feeling it. But there's some there's a grace in pushing through that. And when I've like times when I've just said, you know, what, I'm. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to sing, and I'm going to sing even louder because I know I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a different thing for me. Like that's, I don't know when I'm when I'm when I'm talking about art. I'm actually not talking about that. For me, worship and praise is a different category. Um, I don't know if it. Do you do you have a distinction there for in your mind? Or um, I guess I just think of praise as a little bit quicker, and maybe you'll be clapping, and uh, right. it tends to be a bit more joyful, right? Uh, or at least not so much more joyful, but I would say there is a. A quicker tempo. When I think of praise, I may right. be off here. It's just, this is a distinction in in my uh, vocabulary. It would be praise is going to be a a more jubilant way of um, of singing to the Lord, whereas worship uh, is to me it's more. I find it more intense than praise. It's it tends to be slower. It tends to um, have touches of sorrow, uh, of longing. Mm-hmm. Um, I find worship much more intimate than praise. Praise to me is 
kind of like um, giving your friend like a handshake, a hug in the morning, uh, telling them they did a great job, uh, you know, like going and spending time together, doing your favorite things, that joy, that there's intimacy there. It's, it's a necessary and important part of your relationship. But, um, you know, using, uh, again, like worship, are those heart-to-heart moments or those moments where you sit down and just kind of focus on one another look each other in the eye uh talk about the things that are most important to you talk about uh your commitments to one another to me that's kind of my my relationship with the lord worship they both are necessary i don't think one is is complete without the other um but that's kind of the distinction well and that's interesting because that wasn't even the distinction I was <laughs> I was talking about, but that uh, kind of that brings to mind some other things. Uh, the the distinction I was making was sort of the difference between, or that in my life I feel like there's a there's a place where I may want to listen to music. Um, and I guess the, here's the the distinction is when I want to listen to music I don't put on K-Love but when I'm praising or worshiping a lot of times it's stuff that we're, we're basically covering stuff from K-Love but it's a different for me it's a different place mm, um, okay it's yeah. and and so I, I guess my, one of the main things is that sometimes I can get very very negative about uh, quote Christian music and I want to I want to say that that's not it's it's sort of a multifaceted thing for me that like there is I do find a place for some of it um, in dedicated praise and worship uh, in that place. Um, But for me, there's another, there's a place where I don't, where sometimes, um, I guess I don't want to be putting on yeah I guess like I'm saying sometimes it's put it feels like I'm putting on a front and I understand that there are I've oddly felt grace in those times when I've pushed through my desire to not praise um, but sometimes I want to listen to a sad song or it's like some I'll listen to an album that's um like just beautiful and I don't know if it I don't know necessarily what the people are singing about um, it, as long as it's not like completely vulgar then I can just sort of let sit with it and, and see what it does to me it's, it's sort of it's a, an enjoyment of these things God gave us ears and eyes and all these senses and I think um, our exploration of them is 
is something worth doing. You you had quote last night you when we were talking about some of this. There's a quote I think from Pope Francis's um, address that talked about you know not being you know it's in typical Francis fashion not being so uptight about um, things and I'm trying to uh, see where that was. Um, do you, do you know um, what I'm talking about? <laughs> or I wonder if it was. She says, uh, and I don't, I don't have it with me. Um, oh, was that in? But it may have been in, in the section joy of, of the gospel. Uh, joy of the gospel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that you know, he when he's talking about sacred music. Now, sacred music, in this case, is generally looked at as liturgical music. So that's going to have a different form right. and function um, than really it's just a different function than radio music. Um, but I think there are some interesting um, guidelines. And one of the things he says is um, he calls for safeguarding and enhancing the rich and manifold patrimony inherited from the past. So we have uh, this when we're thinking of liturgical music at least, but I think um, music in general, we have, there's an inheritance from the past, balancing it with the present and avoiding the risk of a nostalgic or archeological look, outlook. And then he talks about enculturation and the ability to incarnate and translate the word of God into song. And I think for me personally, um, when we when I think of a music that we're going to categorize as Christian, which I don't really personally have a problem with, but I think that doesn't mean uh, for me it's it doesn't what doesn't appeal to me is when that be, when the meaning for that becomes this is music by Christians for Christians. Uh, this is music that if you're Christian, you should be listening to and spending your money on uh, and buying the t-shirts of. And it becomes very self-centered. And, and that you could even say in the sense of the body of Christ, it becomes very body of Christ centered. And there's not a lot of evangelization going on when you're charging you know, $32 a ticket to go see uh, a Christian concert. Uh, for me, that I, I would never spend that type of money to go to a, a Christian concert. I find it, uh, I struggle with uh, a lot of the marketing of um, our faith. I, f I find, again, that it loses a lot of its relevance for, for non-believers or for those who just aren't uh, capable of they don't have the amount of superfluous income to spend on uh, keeping Christian musicians uh, working solely as Christian musicians it's, again it's one of those things Paul in the scriptures he was a tent maker mm -hmm. and an evangelist and did all of the things that now all of us build upon and yet for so many today they have to. They feel they need to make a career out of uh, music. Uh, you rarely find people who 
uh, if they had the choice, um, would have a job and then have music. It's about well, and, so and also, they, I mean, I think it, it's the it's the way that that career is approached. If you if you've got uh, three different three houses uh, in New you know New York house in New York and on the West Coast and in Paris maintaining that kind of career is just very very clearly a counter witness to the message but um rich mullins um who i can't even remember what the the music that he made particularly i think his famous song was our god is an awesome okay god. yeah I so i mean that you know I'm not uh, positive sort of a that. classic of the um 90s scene Christian music scene but that dude he uh, all of the money he you know was a of some uh, evangelical Christian church all of the money that he made from any music sales he donated to his church and his church then paid him a stipend mm-hmm. of like about that. you know a thousand dollars a month or something um, and he still as far as I know that was his career but he lived simply he's lived a life of gospel poverty died living in a trailer on a Native American reservation where he was and I guess where he was teaching music to children or something um, I think that's the kind of witness that uh, goes hand in hand with the music that he was creating. Well, you know, regardless of whether I personally like it or want to listen to it, I think on the you know the money side of things, that's someone who got it right. That's someone who clear and he's you know someone asked him you know why. Uh, I think he also didn't ever know how much money. He, he was bringing in, or his music was bringing in, um, and and someone was like, "Well, why don't you just ask?" And he's like, "I don't, I just, I don't want to know how much I'm giving away." Um, I think recognizing in himself, like that's, is you see that number and you become tempted. You see the money coming in, and it's, is a temptation. He did this relatively radical thing to detach himself from the temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that should be celebrated. And I think that it's just fantastic. Um, well, I think there is, and, and someone, oh, sorry, and someone who was clearly viewing his role as a Christian musician in the true sense of evangelization, where it's not about your prosperity. Um, you've been given a gift to, by God to make music you've got a talent for it and he was using that not for his own gain um isn't it was that that's a beautiful witness and um i think something that we don't see a lot in the pop christian music scene yeah even that you know i I know we're, we're, I don't want to use up all of our time on, on you know, small things, but um, I think art 
there was a time where the artist was approached by a patron mm-hmm. um, and he was hired to do something whereas oftentimes today just having been in a band um, this is something that I think uh, you're oftentimes even the most creative bands are oftentimes aware that they need to make music that appeals to a certain audience uh, and even I feel like even that in, hmm. in itself uh, is problematic when it comes to Christianity especially um, you know it's interesting if I told you my dad works at a Christian carpet company <laughs> and uh, my mother on the other hand works at this Christian restaurant downtown uh, and my brother is in a Christian you know cab company like we don't really know what, what does that mean um, it's it's not really clear and I, and I think in Christian music we've just kind of been around it so much uh, I think some people are unclear as to what it actually means uh, many people think it means evangelization and I think maybe when it started out certainly one of my heroes in the Christian music scene was a guy named Keith Green um, gave many concerts for free packed out the place just a, a wonderful um, pianist and uh I think when the when this Christian movement started off in the late 60s and 70s it was very even evangelical in its outlook in the sense of evangelistic mm-hmm. I don't think it's I think now um, it's become more elite and elitist uh, it's certainly certainly the poor aren't going into most of these concerts um, when you're paying, you know, 20 or $30 a pop, uh, it would be fascinating to really think of the gospel and Jesus, uh, you know, going out to preach to the multitudes, but, you know, making sure that if you wanted to get in to see him tell you the good news of the gospel, you would need to, uh, you know, pay 10, 20, $30, uh, I don't know. For me, it strikes me as something strange. And I think, you know, um, just in general, this I came across this quote I was reading the other day, Pope John Paul II's wonderful encyclical called Solicitudo Rei Socialis. Um, And he writes about, even within the Catholic Church, the idea of being and having... In this hierarchy of values and he, and he mentions this going into passing he says um, part of the teaching and most ancient practice of the church is her conviction that she's obliged by her vocation she herself her ministers and each of her members to relieve the misery of suffering both far and near not only out of her abundance but also out of her necessities this part's um, important Faced by cases of need, one cannot ignore them in favor of superfluous church ornaments and costly furnishings for divine worship. On the contrary, it could be obligatory 
to sell these things in order to provide food, drink, clothing, and shelter for those who lack these things. Uh, as has already been noted, we show a hierarchy of values in the framework of the right to property between being and having, especially when the having of a few can be to the detriment or can be to the detriment of the being of many others. End quote. And I think for me, when I think of church art, um, the beauty of the cathedrals um, of Europe, the beauty of uh, the Vatican museums, etc., is that it's open to all. You know, the way mm-hmm. that Pope Paul VI even talked about the museum is it's, it wasn't a museum that belonged to Catholics. It's a museum that belongs to humanity. And I, I really question whether much of the music scene that's coming out of uh, popular Christianity today is one that even even would be interested in um, touching the seedier, the poorer, the more messed up, if you will, parts of our society, which at least through their words, the things they're talking about, uh, the things that the lyrics discuss, oftentimes just seem to be um, buried in kind of a a white suburban and upper middle class uh, existence. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that uh, as we're coming toward the end, that's a no. That's a good lead in, maybe to to another topic. Um, Pope, uh, Pope John Paul II's quote there, and. Uh, you know, I think there is uh, there's merit in, and I don't think this is necessarily what he's talking about. But we could sometimes say when we look at the need of of the world, the material need of the world, where is there really a place for art? You know, um, and I think. There, there's clearly because you know, there's clearly got to be a balance, and we've we're probably not striking the right balance at this point with a lot of Christian art. I think, as I said, sort of toward the beginning, we've this is art and music and literature and expression. These are things that we have always done as humans. There's just some clear need that we have innately to do these things. Um, however, making a lot of money off of it and charging a lot of money for it and not making it accessible to the world at large, that may that may be where we're crossing the line. Um, it's not to say that an artist should never get paid um, or that they an artist needs to be starving and die on the street. Um, to be authentic or something or to it's it's only um i think to say that the balance between um an artist living and being able to have the basic necessities of life uh you know that's that's a far cry from participating in an industry that manufactures a product and will do whatever it can to sell that thing and and you can 
get very rich playing that game but it, it is a game and, and often it neglects um, the totality of human ex- uh, human experience it's, it's, it's sort of one-sided I, Pope John Paul II um, in this letter we're talking about says um, even when they explore the darkest depths of the soul or the most unsettling aspects of evil Artists give voice in a way to the universal desire for redemption. So there's a recognition here, and I agree with it, that we shouldn't limit our expression to what we think will fit in a certain format or what we what some marketing. uh, (laughs) So funny that I'm using marketing in such a negative term. A negative uh, way because I'm one of the hats that I wear for FMC is marketing coordinator. Um, it's so I'm a very conflicted missionary, uh, but I, but I'm you know I don't know um, that's a topic for another time. But uh, I think it's it's like we need artists. We need the freedom to explore all of our experience and the popes are uh they're in agreement with that we can explore darkness we can explore evil um and and that's if it's authentic and if it's a true search for truth um then uh then we're doing the world some good we're doing the world some good by doing that and so um i encourage anyone any artists out there listening to this uh to to pursue beauty pursue truth and and recognize that beauty um it's interesting it doesn't always beauty is not always happy it sometimes pierces our heart um and we can let it do that so uh i think that brings that brings us to the the end of our time here um thank you for joining us we'll uh close in a quick prayer uh jonathan if you wouldn't mind sure in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen dear lord we thank you for your incarnation when you made true beauty beauty itself um tangible to the senses We thank you for becoming man, becoming one of us, entering into our world that we might enter into yours, becoming like us that we might be like you, becoming one of us, Lord, so that we might become uh, one like you. We just ask you, Lord, to guide us through uh, this week, continue our journey in Lent, help us to seek truly authentic um, lives, uh, to live them, Lord, walking with you and in the truth. We ask you all of these things as we say glory to the Father and to the, to the Son, Son and to, and the, to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was, was in the beginning, beginning is now, and, and ever shall be, world without end. end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and uh, God bless all of you. We love you. Um, Talk to you soon. 
We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.